Homeless Link is the national membership charity for frontline homelessness services. We work to improve services through research, guidance and learning, and campaign for policy change that will ensure everyone has a place to call home and the support they need to keep it. In this podcast, we will explore how services and individuals can improve the way they work and support people who are experiencing or have experienced homelessness. In each episode, we will speak to a guest who will tell us about their work and the lessons they've learned along the way. We hope you enjoy it. In this episode, we speak to Amanda Croom, CEO at the Booth Centre in Manchester, about rebuilding control and empowerment. My name is Lauren, I'm Youth Homelessness Lead at HomelessLink, and I'm hosting this episode. Hi Amanda. Hi there. Can you start off by telling us a bit about yourself and also the Booth Centre? Yeah, so as as you say, I'm the CEO of the Booth Centre, and the Booth Centre is a community centre in Manchester that's run by people affected by homelessness and we've been operating for 26 years. Thanks. So in this podcast we're exploring positive and relationship-based approaches to supporting people's well-being and to start with we're asking all our guests what does well-being mean to you? I think for me well-being is about being comfortable in yourself and that involves feeling secure and, and having a good quality of life. And obviously that includes having good physical health and and mental health, um, but also having a a sense of meaning or purpose in your life. And it it doesn't necessarily mean that you're always happy, um, but that you're able to form good relationships, maybe manage change and uncertainty and, and feel and express a whole range of emotions. And that thing of just being, being comfortable. And that's what we all aspire to, isn't it? Amazing. And you say that the centre is run by people experiencing homelessness. So is that part, what is that model? How does that work? We could be seen as a traditional day centre, but we've kind of developed that model. And it's the idea is that the centre is, is run by the people who, who use it. Um, and th- that forms the basis of our our community centre. Amazing, thank you. And that's one of the reasons what we got in contact with you uh, to record this podcast. Uh, we've spoken in other episodes a bit about how trauma can impact individuals and how that can impact relationships as well. Uh, but what we would like to explore a bit more in this episode is how is is what that experience of trauma is, particularly uh, in interpersonal relationships. So, one definition of trauma is is that traumatic experiences will involve the loss or forcible removal of a person's control and power over their own lives. Does this ring true in the work you do and in the experiences of people who run uh, and use the centre? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, people don't choose to become homeless. And by its very nature, becoming homeless is is a traumatic experience and it involves the loss of control. So for many people who come to the centre, being homeless is just one of many experiences that they've had where they've not had much control in, in their lives. So perhaps people have lost their jobs or relationships have broken down or they might might have had to deal with the the DWP or the council's homelessness services or immigration processes, social services, legal processes, all those kind of things where control is taken away from you, that you have to fit into a a system. 
And then often people have lived in institutions, so they might have been in care or in the armed forces or in prisons or in hospitals. And all these things take away people's choices and any feeling that they have that they're in control of their lives. So when this is this feeling of a loss of control has happened multiple times and over a long period of time, it just becomes the norm for people. And people's expectations and their ability to take control over their lives just diminishes and they don't even expect to, to have any control. And so what we try and do at the Booth Centre is build everything we do around creating an environment where people feel that they can start to increase the control they have over their lives and they can improve their well-being and they can work towards defining their own goals, which is, is really, really important. So we provide a place where people feel welcome and where they can build positive relationships with, with other people who, who come in and with our volunteers and with our staff and where they can real, really feel a sense of belonging. Because often people haven't experienced that sense of belonging for a long time. And it's important that people know and that they feel that the centre is, is their centre and it's not the staff centre and it's not my centre. Um, but it's a, a place that they can help shape and they can uh, define and they can help deliver the service because it is their centre. And what we find is that if they feel they have some, some choice and the ability to influence their environment within the centre, that they take those experiences away with them um, outside the centre and into the rest of their lives and that they can start to feel that they have more control because they've experienced it within the centre, if, if that makes sense. Yeah, that makes complete sense. Can you give us any examples of what you might do to create that environment and how you might, how the centre is run and how you provide choice and what sorts of choices you provide? Yeah, so I think the, um, the whole thing of empowerment has to be built into the whole culture of the organisation. So it can't be just something that's added on or that it's the responsibility of one aspect of the service, that you have your empowerment project that's tacked on to, to the, the service model. It has to be something that's intrinsic. And so going right back to basics, we have really clear vision and mission and values. And these were put together by people who, who come to the centre. Um, and so our vision is that everyone should have a secure home and a good quality of life. And our mission is to enable people to, to plan for and realise a better future. And that's a, a future that they've identified where they've set their goals and, and worked out what they want to achieve. And, and we're just helping um, them along the way to achieving those. And that's all underpinned by our values. And, and those are about being inclusive and respectful and empowering and working in partnership with each other and inspiring each other. And what we make sure is that these underpin everything that we do and we have them displayed. Our art group created a, a beautiful display of, of our vision, mission and values that's on the wall of the centre as you come in. And it forms the basis of all our inductions for the staff and volunteers and trustees. And we, and we refer back to those um, all the time. And, and the key value about working in partnership is about the fact that we're running the centre together. So it's embedded it within the organisation. And then as, as part of that, we, we looked at the language that we use and we worked with people on this and they told us how they wanted to be referred to. And so we talk about people rather than service users or, or customers or clients. And 
we're all people and it's it's a really leveling thing that when you start using that kind of language um you stop sort of othering other people and seeing them as being somehow different to to us we're all, all people together and we're all running the center together and then we have a sort of respect agenda which again was drawn up by um by everyone together in the center and that's about how we we all treat each other so we we aim to work in partnership through through everything that we do so in the design of the service the delivery and the evaluation and this involves loads of groups um, and lots of meetings and lots of discussions and those are all open for anyone to attend so the groups make decisions um, about the service but they also for example have have control over some of our budgets um, so for example we have an employment group and they have a budget of £25,000 to spend on helping people get back into work and they decide how that's spent so at the moment, that, that group has decided that when people get a new job, they should be given cash to help them through the first few weeks of getting work. So they give £25 a week to people who get a new job for the first four weeks till their first paycheck comes in. Um, but in the future, they might decide that they want to spend it on, on something different. But that's their, their choice in, in how they do that. And it's giving those that control back to people to, to collectively come to that decision about how money should be spent as well as how the service should look. So obviously people in the centre, we, we also involve them in staff recruitment and um, our staff inductions. And we have um, people who've used the centre on our board of trustees. So at the moment, about a sixth of our trustees are people who've, who've used the centre. Um, and we also involve people in the delivery of the service so we have a whole team of volunteers and we believe that everyone can volunteer um, and everyone can contribute even if they're still sleeping rough or if they're drug or alcohol dependent they're still able to to volunteer and that that everyone can contribute so today for example we've got um a, a guy in who's playing the piano for people he's fantastic piano player and we've got someone else who's watering our plants and someone else who looks after the fish so people can contribute at all sorts of different levels we've also got volunteers who draw up our um our pub publicity with us who've designed a media policy for the center um and last year we involved a whole group of people in drawing up our new three-year strategic plan for the organization and that includes um, a new project, which is a commissioning project, where, where we're involving people in identifying what services are missing in the city and what services need to be improved. And they're actually commissioning and making funding decisions about what projects should be funded and then monitoring those decisions. So it's it's about trying to make sure as much control as we can is 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 given to the people who, who use the, the centre. Um, so it's the environment that's created where people can build their skills and their confidence and, and their self-belief and all of that they can take away with them into the rest of their, their lives. So that's our model, if that kind of in, in brief. Yeah, that sounds amazing. And I think what really comes across is that it's sort of integrated and it's across all different levels. Like you said, it's not just the projects, but I think... Um, you know, control over budgets, that's often something that feels quite scary to organisations, but just doing it sounds completely amazing. Um, in terms of 
setting up in terms of setting up the service or not setting up the service but this model was that something that was always the way that the booth center worked or is that something that's happened over years or how, how did you get to the point that you are now yeah so it's it's always been intrinsic in how we've how we've worked um but it's something that we develop and continue to develop and we've had to challenge ourselves with it and had to think about, well, why in this meeting, why aren't there people at the centre in this meeting or in this decision that we're making? Why are we making as staff, why are we making this decision on our own? And is it actually something that um, that we can involve people with and do in a different way? So it's something that's continually developing and some things work and some things don't work. And we try and we experiment and um it goes through through phases so it, it, we haven't got everything sorted it's it's a process but we just keep working on it and what's important is that we put a lot of time and a lot of effort into it and it's built into every single worker's job descriptions and um their, their sort of work plans that they put time into doing things in in this way and um and that's what makes it work great I'd like to speak to you a bit about systems broader systems outside an individual service but before we just move on to that I wondered if you had any key messages on how an individual service can improve that I think you've spoken about it it's about time and effort um, is there anything else I, I think it's um it's important that there's commitment to do it all the way through the organization so it's not something that one worker on their own can do. There has to be that organisational commitment to it. And you have to be prepared to put time to it, and which really means putting money to it as well. Um, and if there is that real commitment to do things differently and to be brave and to experiment and, and to try different things, then it really works and it's it's really worthwhile. But it does have to be, we, we found a, a whole organizational thing and it is about a big cultural shift amazing thank you so like i said we have sort of spoken about that on uh spoken about empowerment on a service level and how services can be partnerships between people um but it's been an odd year we've seen a huge uh, change in the way that services are managed and delivered and we're still in the middle of of it in relation to COVID-19 um, and what I what we know is that often systems and processes we have in place before COVID-19 can reinforce and the disempowerment of individuals, as you sort of spoken about and touched on with DWP, housing systems and services. Um, and I guess reflecting on the previous year, there's been huge efforts across the country to uh, bring people who are rough sleeping in and address the needs of people who may have additional vulnerabilities, may be isolated, you know, a variety of different things to support them and protect people and save lives. Um, and 
I don't want to sort of diminish those efforts, but in some instances, we've also seen that people, these lockdown measures and the measures that have been put in place across the past year have been traumatising or re-traumatising of individuals and have reinforced again that removal of control and place people sometimes in unsafe settings. So my next question is, what lessons do you feel can be learned from COVID-19 in relation to control, in relation to empowerment and working in that sort of strengths-based, we haven't used the term strengths-based yet, but strengths-based ways where you're building partnerships with individuals? Yeah, I suppose um, within within our centre, we, we found that COVID was a real opportunity to involve people in redesigning our service. And we've done that redesign at least three times in the last year. So we did a big redesign at the, at the start and then in the middle when things started easing up again. And then more recently, we're working on the design of how we're going to come out of, of COVID. And we found that we needed to reduce the number of people who came into, into the building. We, we stayed open throughout, but we, we did have to reduce our numbers. And that meant we were able to really focus on the quality of, of what we do. And people have really enjoyed that and really valued that. And so as we're planning our post-COVID model, um, people have decided that we want to retain a lot of that and not go back to the sort of 80 plus people coming in for breakfast every morning into what was quite a busy, hectic day centre type environment. So there's been really positive things for us as a service. But our model also involves enabling people who use a service to use the skills and confidence they've got from within our centre to get involved in strategic change outside of the centre. And so usually we have people who are involved in influencing the design and the delivery and the valuation of services across Manchester. And in Manchester, we have the Manchester Homeless Partnership, which is one of the vehicles that helps to to enable that to to happen. but COVID was a real challenge. And what, what we found was that particularly the statutory sector organisations, but some of the voluntary sector as well, they went into a kind of crisis mode. Um, and that one of the things that was really lost within that was the whole concept of, of co-production. And so people made lots of quick decisions about what services were needed. And some of that was involved some big improvements so it was great that we had the closure of night shelters and there was more single room accommodation and more accommodation available which was um which was really good but we also found that those decisions were made without involving people who use the services and so often that's meant that those services haven't met the needs and particularly the psychological needs of of people um who who the services were, were designed for so We've been doing quite a lot of work to try and bring back co-production into service planning in Manchester, and that's an ongoing um, an ongoing process. I, th- I think just on a really practical level, one of the things that people found really difficult was the fact that all the meetings went online, and that 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 was a real barrier to to any kind of co-production and meaningful involvement. And um, people found it difficult from a really practical point of view just having technical issues having the equipment having wi-fi having the skills to navigate the different platforms but it was much more than that it was that the culture of online meetings was something that they found much less 
accessible. So we've tried to continue to have face-to-face meetings and we're trying to bring back more face-to-face meetings as well as building people's confidence on the online platforms. But it was, um, we found it was a real barrier to, to getting that in involvement, which was, uh, yeah, which, which was just quite interesting. And I'm sure that's reflected across the, the country. Yeah, but that's, that's really interesting. I think we all have different experiences of these online meetings, but yeah, in a, in a group, it's very different. You can really still only have one person. It's not dynamic. One person speaking at a time, it's not dynamic. You can't respond in the same way that you might be able to in person um and I definitely thought about the kind of tech side of and digital exclusion or inclusion side of it but not really thought about yeah that kind of experience of being with people and that that being inspiring to make decisions um so we I guess my last question which you've kind of covered is how would you like to see the way services are designed and commissioned and delivered in the homelessness sector change thinking about the past year and obviously you've kind of said it we need to integrate co-production back into that yeah I think sort of there needs to be really a a bigger change than that as well a kind of whole systems change um and there needs to be much more of a focus on strengths-based working, which we, we haven't really talked much about, but uh, also a, about co-production and the whole psychologically informed approaches. But I guess my worry is that all these things have just become part of the jargon and that services are almost ticking boxes to say, yes, they're doing those things without real crucial kind of underlying changes um, being made. So um, in Manchester, for example, we've, we've got real commitment now in the commissioning team at the council to build co-production and strengths-based approaches into commissioning processes and into all the new contracts that are, um, that are, are being made. But I think, again, there needs to be a bigger a shift and really valuing kind of respect and choice and giving control back to people so that they can plan their own lives. And I think we've got there's a real danger that funding cuts that are that are inevitably going to come in and short-term funding that comes up very quickly and the increased demands that we're all expecting to, to see in terms of um, homelessness, that those things all put at risk the, the systems change that we need because those things kind of take over. So I think there, there needs to be more needs to be done to have whole systems change. And we need to not put that on hold just because we're having to, to make cuts and make short-term decisions about funding and deal with increased demand. If we sort of say, well, we'll deal with that those things later, I think that it, it will just never happen. So I think we just have to bite the bullet and make even bigger changes. Thank you. Uh, well, we're coming to the end of the session. Is there anything, any other final points that you would like to raise or shout about? I think it's great that we're having this conversation. It's it's really interesting thinking about these things and hopefully it might give people a bit of food for, for thought. And I think the fact the very fact that we're having the conversation is is really positive. And 
we can do things differently and there's loads of great work happening all over the country and I, I hope people are just really encouraged to, to make those changes that do improve people's well-being and give people back control because that's what it's all about people need to um, be able to live their lives and, and feel they've got that control thank you thanks for listening to keep up to date with the latest goings on at homeless link please follow us on twitter at homeless link if you're interested in training and development opportunities for yourself your team or your organization get in touch by emailing training at homelesslink.org.uk We have a range of courses that help staff and organisations develop the skills needed to tackle current issues and improve services.